This is the British Broadcorp in castration. And now, for the young in heart and weak in the head, it's Round the Archives. Attacker in T.J. Hooker. What's this all about? At Linda's apartment, the police told me they brought her here. She was attacked. She's afraid. Afraid of what he'll do. I think the killer's still out there. I think he's going to kill again. I think we'll be back. Explosive excitement at 8.45. Come on now! Leslie Crowther makes sure everyone has a splendid Saturday night. So don't miss the fun on London Weekend Television. Your weekend ITV. Stay with us as Jill Gascoigne stars as Detective Inspector Maggie Forbes in The Gentle Touch. Hello everyone. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Lisa. And welcome to episode 23 of Round Round the Archives. I don't think there's anything much to correct about episode... 22, yes, is I'm there? sure somebody will let us know if there is. Well, yeah, I've so. probably forgotten. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, we've mm-hmm. been busy with videos, haven't yes. we? Um, those yes. Those have been doing all right. And yes. the, the blog is still going. So, it is. Roundthearchives.blogspot.co.uk uh, for the blog. Mm-hmm. And uh, just Lisa Parker mm-hmm. for the videos. But yes. if you search for something like Doctor Who on Twitch, yes. you'll probably, uh, find, you'll probably find us. Because yes. that's what we've been talking about mostly. Yes. But anyway, let's get on with episode 23 shall mm-hmm. we so first off thee and me mm-hmm. uh, take a look at robert's robots don't yes, we yes we do and then we'll go straight into an article by martin about kinvig mm-hmm. so you've got all that to look forward to and are then, you lucky yes and we'll be back very shortly okay bye 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 <laughs> I say, I say, I say, Lisa. What do you say? I say, what did the owl say to his girlfriend when it started to rain? I don't know. What did he say? He said, too wet to woo. Too wet to woo. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa. Yes. We are looking at Robert's Robots, and that's one of the jokes from Robert's Robots. We are. We're, that's the level of humour. <laughs> but... Um, we've got have we got the first series we've got the whole of the first series series. and the whole of the second series good lord yes aren't we good yes Um, so Lisa what is Robert's Robots Robert's Robots is a um, I'm assuming it's a children's comedy I suppose well it was written by well it was broadcast at 4.50 in the afternoon yes are there other children's programmes before it well this was 
episode one, mm-hmm. uh, which is Follow That Robot, mm-hmm. is Monday the 12th of November 1973. So the schedule beforehand runs 3.55 Who's Baby, David Nixon with Jimmy Young and Diana Coupland. Interestingly, the Radio Times... TV Times. The TV Times says the divisor of this series has Eamon Andrews. I don't know whether they mean they... Was Eamon, is. Yeah, but whether they have him on a daily basis or not. (laughs) Anyway, Clapperboard. Yeah. uh, Robert's Robots, and then Lollipop, which is the Peggy Mount Hugh Lloyd Okay, so this is a really weird ITV thing, that you've got a mixture of um, children's programmes and sort of family programs well if you look at the listing by the time you get to episode four Mm. um clapperboard follows on from joker's wild which is on at 355 having joker's wild on in that slot is really quite strange to me it is yes anyway back to robert's robots yes it's um it's devised by bob block that's right which probably tells you all you need to know and it runs 1973 and 1974 yes so it's after pardon my genie yes and before rent before rent and granddad yes uh but um if you look it up on wikipedia Mm -hmm. it gets the grand total of two sentences of description (laughs) Robert's Robots was a British children's television series that ran from 1973 to 1974. Robert Summerby is the inventor of the robots and he lives with Aunt Millie. Yes. And apparently that's all you need to know know. about about the series. Robert is played by John Clive. Yes. And it's also got Jenny Hanley in. Yes. She's not in episode one. She's not in episode one. She's in episode two from onwards. Yeah. But we looked at episode one Mm -hmm. and episode four. Yes. Okay, and we'll get on and to And there is a reason why we don't have in, in, in a moment. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the setup, he makes these robots. Yes. And he's got a. He's got a government grant. He's got a government grant. So he has to keep it all secret. Yeah, so this is yes. like from the Ministry of Technology and they're providing mm. research. Yeah, uh, funds. Funds. Yes. Um, and he's made Katie. Katie, yes, who's, who's a sort of basic robot and he's very Herman Munster like. Yeah, he's silver with. He's silver. Face. But I was also thinking of what he's wearing. He's sort of wearing that sort of. Um, Universal 30s Frankenstein jacket and and, and yeah it's a slight air of Frankenstein's monster isn't it yes more more of Herman Munster in some ways because he's quite sort of bumbly bumbly and trusting he's sort of of, you know he's quite a sort of amiable character yeah he's quite lovable but you know he's he's got the strength of ten men and he's sort of and the brain of a child and he pulls keeps pulling the door off the he keeps forgetting or, to open the door. Or he opens the door the wrong way. Or, or, or walking yeah. through it. Yeah. Um, and then you've got um, Eric. Yes. Who's a, a more so- sophisticated one, isn't yes. he? Yes. Um, he's played by Nigel Pegram, yes. who you might spot in the Tomorrow People yes. a few times. Because yes. this is um, produced by Vic Hughes. Yes. Who um, will go on to do Tomorrow People. Tomorrow yeah. People, So yes. there is a Tomorrow yes. People link there yes. already. Because um, it's quite interesting. It is a sort of... It's a Thames series. Yes. Um, and you, you do actually get some decent actors in Yeah, in, yeah you've, in got, this. you've got Robert Dawning in the first episode. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Dudley Jones. Dudley Jones. Uh, from yeah. Tenth Planet yeah. pops up. And Richard Davies as and well. Richard Davies. Yes. More about whom in a moment. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it's this whole thing that the robots are actually sort of, they've got, sort of human feelings yes. as well haven't they yes but but eric could almost pass for a human being yeah apart from the when well, um, his ear smokes 
Uh, yeah, he's got a one weird ginger eyebrow. Yes, though. and a sort of red Gin- bit across his streak in his streak hair. In his isn't hair. It? Yeah, it's sort of reverse peladon, isn't it? Yeah, um, but yeah, he's got a bit of a sort of twitch, hasn't mm. he? Yeah. Um, well, that's because he's he's ear sort of fuses. Yeah, his ear sort of overloads, doesn't yes. it? But there, there's this whole subplot that um, there's this sort of um, guy from a sort of rival company who's well, em- yes, yes, he's yes. employed Richard Davies as to, a private detective to spy on him. Now, this is a feature you'll find in a lot of Bob Block's work. Mm. Because in Rent-A-Ghost, in a later series, I think it's sort of the third or fourth, um, the Perkins, who are the Meeker's next-door neighbours, employ a private detective to spy on them to try and get proof that they're mad so they can get them chucked out of the house or something. I'm not quite (laughs) sure. And and in that case, it's Tim Stern. Yeah. All right, but you get yeah, it's lots of of creeping around, watching these unusual behaviours <laughs> that go on in a lot of blob 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 blob. Um, but yeah, the uh, sort of guy who's who's employed Richard Davies, um, mm. he's got this thing of speaking. He gets these words, words wrong, wrong, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit sort of you know, Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie Barker, you yeah. know, Society for the Pispronunciation of Worms, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Which well, is the stereotypical um, foreigner, isn't yeah. it? Because he says, like, fair means or chicken, yeah. meaning foul yes. and things like that. Uh, Richard Davies does a lot of talking into his pocket dictaphone, yes. doesn't he? You know, yes. Basically so he can talk to the audience, yeah, basically. basically, yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, that the whole point about this is that... Um, they're trying to prove that Eric is so lifelike. Yeah, but he could be mistaken for a human. So they they have to send him to the doctors yes. to, to have an examination. Yes. And, and all it, sorts of confusion uh, occurs. Because, first of all, um, uh, when the man from the ministry, uh, Mr Fosdyke, hmm. he goes to the laboratory to talk to Eric and he comes across Richard Davis. And because yeah. Richard Davis has got a lab coat with R on the back... Yeah, he assumes he's he the assumes robot. He assumes he's the robot. Yeah. So... It's just it's fast, really. It's just yeah. It's just you know, mistaken mistaken identities, identities and things like yes. that. And Which again is a feature of Bob Block's work. Yeah, but um, Eric's sort of ear is overloaded. Yes, but he's got two extra sort of sound sensors up his nose. Yes, so you get a scene where he's going to the doctors and he puts. Um, Actually, they're like little in-ear ones. I didn't realise you had little in-ear ones. Yeah, because he's listening to the radio. Mm. Yes, uh, and a he radio. puts it up his nose. Yeah. And what was it? Richard Davies says he's he's smelling some music. Yes, but yeah, there's this whole long silly film sequence yeah. where Eric is going to the doctors. Yeah, and he keeps stopping and doing stuff. And Richard Davies is following Eric. Yeah, and Robert Dawning following Richard Davies. Yeah, thinking yeah. that Richard Davies he's is the, the robot. robot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's all it's all terribly silly. Yeah. But uh, um, load of sort of smoke comes out of his ear again. Yes. And, and then uh, he puts some frozen peas frozen, on it. He goes and gets some frozen peas. Which and, then fuses his arm, they, making it twitch. Because the water sort of drips off of yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah, Richard Davies gets hit, hit on the head with an umbrella. Yes. To t- Supposedly sort of, to test his t- what would happen if he hit a robot on the head. Yeah. Um, but he goes to the doctors. Now, the doctor, I, I sort of stopped it and rewound it because it said, yes. um, I, I wanted to look, there was a plaque on the ball yeah, about the hours. the hours of the yes. doctor and the the doctor's hours are nine till 11 mm-hmm. and four till six and i said yes. to you well what, what's a load of people doing in his surgery then at 255 yeah. i think they're probably private patients yeah I so he has so. A, he has a he has his nhs 
um, surgery in the morning and the afternoon. Mm. Then he has a private surgery before the NHS surgery. Yeah. But there's a bloke waiting to go in who's got a note, mm. and Eric's got a note as yes. well. And he drops his note. And the notes get exchanged. Yeah. No, the bloke. They don't get exchanged. He drops his note. Eric drops his note. Yeah. And a woman picks up and gives it to the bloke. The other bloke. Yeah. Who's got his note in his pocket still? Yeah. But the other bloke is um, Larry Noble, who's Pinder from yes. Blake Seven Orbit. Orbit. Yeah, mm. and if you've ever seen that, you'll know what an extraordinary performance that yeah. is. He doesn't play anywhere near as eccentric. <laughs> yeah, so this bloke goes in, and the doctor reads the note and, and assumes that he's the robot. Yes. So it's getting complicated. Yeah, for a kids' program, it's actually you quite do, a complicated. You do have to plot. pay attention. Yeah, it's to layer upon layer upon layer, isn't about it? Who believes what? And yes, and who thinks who you think is who and. Yeah, yeah, you do have to pay attention. Um, now, it does beg the question why the doctor's got a toolkit yes. in his office. Yes, you do wonder. <laughs> yeah. And the bloke runs off at this point yes. when he gets the wrench out. And knocks got... Richard Davis over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Eric goes in mm-hmm. and he says about his ear. Yes. And so the doctor looks through his ear. Yeah, and there's a shot of him you can see right through. Yeah, it's a sort of CSO shot. Yes. You can see all the way through Eric. Which Eric... is very well done. Eric's head. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Um, but... Um, the doctor accidentally presses his emergency speed up switch, yes, doesn't which leads to one of these speeded up speeded film. Up film because Eric runs yes. off the ro- runs up the road, yeah. overtaking a car, yes. or yeah. silly things like that. Um, but he gets his extra funding because this is what it's all about. He's asked for extra funding from the Ministry of Technology, and yeah. because of the mis uh, mishaps, he gets his extra funding. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a silly setup. Yes. Um, but yeah, you, as you said, you can spot the sort of Bob Blockisms. Yes, can't you can you? sort of tick them off as you go. Private detective, yeah, yeah, tick. Yeah. Most of their identity, tick. Yeah. yeah. But then we jumped on to episode four. Yes. Which is called uh, Dial C for Chaos. Mm-hmm. Now let's see what it says in the in the listings for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is uh, Monday, the third of December. Mm-hmm. And I just need to. Uh, so this, yeah. So this point, Jenny Hanley's now. In it as a sort of regular, yeah, isn't she? she? She's, she's um, uh, Robert's fiance. Fiance. Yeah, but again, we're, girlfriend drug fiance. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but it says, "Don't put your robot on the stage, Mrs. Worthington," as somebody nearly said. Robert has decided to ignore the advice, but he's not so sure the show must go on when the custard pies start flying, and he's even more doubtful when Markin and Gimble get in on the act, because uh, they're that's that's the that's the private detective and the and the um yeah. Gimbal's Spy. the private detective yes. and uh, Markin's the, the bloke in, in charge of the, sort yeah. of the rival company. Um, and Eric sings his own version of the hit parade with shattering effect. Yes. Now, um, See, that's another thing as well that Bob Block does. People singing, singing badly and shattering glass. Because Mrs. Mrs. Meeker Mrs. does it. Mrs. Meeker does it, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. right. She shatters yeah. all the glass and, glass and people's glasses. and Yeah, so again, you're getting recurring ideas. Yeah. But... Uh, there are four robot entertainers that have yes. been built. Mm. Um, two of whom are well. One one's played by Christopher Biggins, looking very young and very slim, looking young and slim. Yes. And the other is played by a certain Sylvester McCoy. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm. Um, and they do the, they, the yes, they can tell jokes mm-hmm. and they can sing, and do and magic tricks, do magic mm. tricks. Mm. Um, and there's a thing where they can you know pick a card, any mm. card. And because it's Sylvester, it reminded me a bit about when we saw Sylvester do. Uh, we've seen him do some of his oh, his, his uh, cabaret, cabaret stuff, stuff. Uh, uh, 
Perhaps come and see. Because he, he, he does yes. a whole routine with um, yes. sausages, sausages, doesn't he? Yes. Pick yes. a sausage, any sausage. sausage put yes. it in the pack. Yes. I'll shuffle it. Yeah. Is this your sausage? No. And then he starts <laughs> flinging the sausages into the audience. And one whizzed past my ear. I yes. seem to remember. So I yeah. nearly got a sausage in the ear. He thanks nearly to did. Yes. Sylvester. Because yeah, he also does that, and he does his, the trick with the um, elastic, isn't it? Oh, that's right. He yeah. stretches the elastic yes. in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And he sort of falls off the stage. Yeah. Uh, but. Eric's sort of starting to get a bit bolshy by he this is. point. He's read some Karl Marx and yeah. he wants rights for robots. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of union. He's yeah. start thinking about sort of forming yes. a robot union. So it's yeah. almost like robots of death, the robot revolution yeah. will yeah. come, isn't it? You know? It hasn't taken long for him to get disgruntled no. with his no, lot, not has at it? All. Not at all. Uh, but there's this remote control device mm. which mm. has got like letters on it, like C for comedy, for and, comedy yeah. and S and, for singing. And, and Katie likes playing with it. So all you get all the time is them sitting he keeps getting he'll be talking about something and then Katie turns it to the singing thing and he has to start singing yeah now there are quite a few custard pies in this there episode it has to be said episode, yes. Um, yes. but yes um, the uh, what was it yes er- Eric sort of ends up singing um, things like a handful of songs and yeah. only a rose yeah and, and things like that and he yes. keeps on singing these sort of things to, to Katie yes uh, but what is it now? We've not seen the episode, but apparently Katie's in a relationship with the gas cooker. With the gas cooker, yes. <laughs> it yes. sounds really strange. It does sound a bit strange, yes. <laughs> but yeah. And then then Kate then the phone rings. And, and, and Katie, Katie goes brings and gets the phone. the phone by physically bringing the phone. <laughs> yeah, and cuts it off. Pulling it out. Of and the then, room. of course, you get lots of confusion because he's called Katie and Angie. Angela. Uh, Angela. Yeah. Oh, Angie. She is called Angie. Is she? Yeah. Right, okay. she comes round and she hears him talking to Katie and she thinks he's talking to another woman. And it's Again, it's fast. It's but, fast for children. But it's that, it's that daft thing where um, Angela is kept in the dark yes, about the robots. About the robots, yeah. And it's one of those things that is really frustrating, especially as a kid, yeah, I just, think. Just tell her. Just tell her for just God's tell her, sake. Just tell her, yeah. Because um, Katie like, spends... A weekend in the cupboard or something. Yeah, yeah. When when she's there, but I said again, it, it's it's another rent-a-ghostism. Yes. That um, um, Anthony Jackson doesn't yeah, tell Fred Mumford as Fred Mumford doesn't tell his parents he's dead. But then again, see, I can understand that because yeah. how do you actually tell somebody you're dead but you're here? Yeah. As a ghost, I mean, because there's a lot of stuff with him. But he, he, his mum will give him a, a cooked breakfast, mm. and they'll find it. In the garden, because yeah. he chucks it out the window. Yeah. And... But I, I like the thing about, there's, there's a um, line about um, Angela's been promoted from girlfriend to fiancé. To fiancé, yes. <laughs> I like the idea yeah. that that's promotion. That's promotion, yes. That's a step up from girlfriend. But yeah, she, she's on the um, sofa, mm. and Katie's behind the sofa. and he's Trying to get the remote control. Trying to get the remote and his hand comes off. Yes, and she's sort of... She's holding this, she thinks it's Robert's hand, and she's holding the hand. Then he stands up and walks around, and yeah. she suddenly realises that it's but, not his hand. But yeah, the entertainment robots have like their, their batteries have run down yes. as well. And then mm-hmm. Richard Davies sort of sneaks in, and they've been covered with white sheets at this yes. point. Yeah. So he's confronted by four figures, four mm-hmm. sort of ghostly looking figures. Yeah. Speaking really slowly like yes. that, <laughs> and he's yes. and obviously thinks they're ghosts or something, yes. and he gets scared and runs away. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
Oh, oh yeah. Another awful joke is uh, I had a dog called Isaiah. Mm. Why? Why was he called Isaiah? Because he had one Isaiah than the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there could be jokes that kids find really funny, though. Uh, my brother was a cashier in the police station. What was a cashier doing in the police station? He counts the coppers. Yeah. <laughs> it's all really very silly, isn't yes. it? Yes. Um, I mean, it's very light-hearted. It's it's. There's no sort of um, malice in there. It's, no. it's you can sort of watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't cringe at it. <laughs> no. it you know, it's, no. yeah, it, it is for kids, and, and mm. it's 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 you know not not the most sophisticated humour no. in the world. Mm. But that whole sequence at the end, I did laugh at it when mm. um, Biggins keeps on getting custard pies oh, God, in yeah, the face. Yeah. Because they get stuck, don't they? Yeah. They get stuck doing the and sort of... for the first two or three goes, I was going, well, this isn't funny. But by the time they've done it about six times... It does get to be funny, It's yeah. the repetition yes. of it. Yeah. And the, I, I just... I've mm. never seen Sylvester or, or Biggins ever talk about it. No, well, they, they probably, probably don't, don't remember. even remember. No, 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 no. But I'd love to show it to Biggins mm. as, like... Mm. And, and again, Biggins is a is a renter ghost regular, yes. Um, yeah. You know, because he's what Adam painting. Adam painting, yes. Yeah, yes. And what was it you said about the um, the maintenance robot or something? Oh, it? Jeremy, yes, Jeremy, the maintenance robot. Because there's another episode where there's a maintenance robot and it keeps going wrong and trying to fix things yeah, that we aren't haven't actually broken. Wa- we haven't watched, watched that it, one. But from the description, it sounds very much like the renter ghost because there's a there's a um, a robot that Mister Claypole invents called Jeremy. Yeah after Jeremy Swan, the producer. Yeah. And... It mends things. It mends things. And it sticks a label on, this is mended. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not. It just it doesn't <laughs> mend things. It just breaks things. But isn't it sort of like the robot sort of... It didn't have a jester hat on it or something. Yeah, it, it was a sort of squat thing with, yeah. like, multiple arms. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it was it was a bit based on Mr. Claypole. Mr. Claypole, yeah, because yeah. Mr. Claypole was a jester when he was alive. Yeah. Yeah, because Mr. Mr. Claypole was obviously a sprite yeah. and he, get, he does naughty things. But it's just interesting to sort of join the dots a bit yeah. in, in yeah. the way, you know, that writers do have things that they keep going back yeah. to. Because even in, because obviously um, Bob Block does um, Pardon My Genie as yeah. well. And even in that, he some stuff he does in Pardon My Genie, you will repeat in Rendergast because yeah. there's, there's, there's a bit with where the main character in Part of My Genie is trying to pass his driving test. Oh, right. So he, he, Genie casts the dream, but then he does it too much and the bed goes out. Oh, and yeah. he's, and then you get a scene in Rent a Ghost where there's, they're driving a bed. So, yeah, he does repeat himself. But then I suppose if there's big gaps in between all these series, there's no guarantee that anybody's going to remember anything. Yeah, I mean, so. Just a couple of extra things. When we... Um, so, I mean, we're recording this a few hours after announcing we were going to do it, and we've yes. got a couple of replies on um, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we, we've had a few comments, including the title should have an epilepsy warning. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we, have, we should say about the we title music. We should say music. about the titles, because the title music, well, as we've played it, mm. for something from 1973, it's a very good prediction of what um, the music like was a lot in, in a lot of 80s computer yeah. games. yeah. Because it's and, that classical music that's done electronically, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so and it, sounds awful. Yeah, mm. it's just interesting. At the time, you wouldn't have picked up on it. No. But mm. with hindsight, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good prediction, It is a very actually. good prediction. I uh, do want to know what John Clive's doing in the title sequence, though, because he keeps opening and shutting his mouth. What is he, what's he actually doing? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but mm. yeah, uh, the other comment from a certain person was um, not quite as bad as Pardon My Genie, no. <laughs> <laughs> which maybe is faint praise. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> but in Pardon My Genie, you get Hugh Paddock. Yeah, 
who is always worth watching. Yeah. For the first yeah. series, anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and Roy Berikoff, who is very long suffering. Yes, indeed. Yes. But yeah, I I, I quite like those. Uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't mind seeing a few no. more. They're, no. they're they're perfectly serviceable. Yes. And, Probably shouldn't binge on too many at one no, time. No, just just one or two. Yes. That, that's enough, I think. But mm-hmm. you know, to fill half an hour. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, fine. And it's obviously it's available on DVD from Network. As most of things course. are. Um. So yeah, there we go. You know, give it give it a go. <laughs> Don't say we didn't warn you though. Yeah. Okay. okay. That'll do then. I think. In the late 1950s, Nigel Neal wrote the third of his BBC Quatermass serials, Quatermass in the Pit, which I consider to be a masterpiece of television storytelling and a masterclass in how to build a sense of growing unease and menace from basically nothing whatsoever. The characters he creates across those six half hours are all richly drawn and each in their own small way add to the jigsaw of telling an astonishingly complicated idea in an entertaining and terrifying way. Nothing is superfluous. Nothing is unnecessary. Even though Hammer Films were able to halve the running time it took to tell that story a decade later, somehow the movie version still manages to impress, despite losing those small character pieces. Yet the richness of the original is what makes it impress even today, despite being made almost live on a television budget in an age where cutting-edge special effects might involve a wax effigy being melted by a hairdryer. And I think it's Nigel Neal's small character sketches and the committed performances that make the dialogue sing. Concentrating upon character is what makes Neil's television creations work. And in most instances, work they indeed do. More than 20 years after this triumph, after falling out with the BBC and working with Euston Films to allow little Johnny Mills to give the venerable Professor one last hurrah, Nigel Neal turned his not inconsiderable talent towards creating a sitcom. And the result was Kinvig, which is not quite a mass, certainly, but it is very much something else.
Kinvig was directed by Brian Simmons and broadcast over the unusual number of seven half-hour episodes during the ITV primetime in late 1981, before pretty much vanishing into obscurity. It's about a couple of UFO spotters, or enthusiasts of extraterrestrial craft of unknown origin, as his friend Jim might say, and their discovery, or otherwise, of an actual UFO somewhere in the vicinity of Kinvig's rather run-down old repair shop, and their relationship with the aliens that inhabit it. Or maybe it's all a dream. It's no secret that Nigel Neal could be something of an old curmudgeon in later years and wasn't one to suffer fools gladly. Some see this series as Neal kicking out at the world of science fiction and its fans, his revenge upon them, after what would then have been three decades of people associating him with sci-fi and horror when he considered himself to be simply a writer of stories. And as such, it seems that the series is neither generally all that well regarded or, or fondly remembered. And that's something of a shame, because part one, despite a few shortcomings that I'll come to, is all rather charming and lovely in its own sweet little way. The programme stars Tony Haygarth, who was one of those character actors who seemed to turn up in just about everything, but I always remembered him for playing Des Kinvig. Whenever he appeared, I'd think, it's Kinvig! Although, I sometimes suspect that I may have been the only one. He's playing him as a tubby scruffy little middle-aged man with a slight Liverpoolian accent, which seems fair enough because, on the whole, that's what he was. That, of course, is to underplay what is a very subtle performance of tired lives, lost hopes and unfulfilled dreams, and the things we do to compensate for our own little failures and disappointments. Kinvig lives above the shop, with his wife Netta and their dog Cuddly, their mutual love of which seems to be compensating for some deeper personal lack of something else in their lives. Netta seems to love Des very much, indeed, despite... Des being somewhat frustrating. If I know my Neil, Kinvig is a good old Manx name, and it is no coincidence that it is an anagram of Viking, and the irony of our title character being almost the antithesis of a marauding barbarian adventurer is not lost on me. Pressing play, we ought to take a moment to wallow in the nostalgia of that old LWT logo before it quantels away, or whatever the ITV version was called, into the corner of our screen. The episode itself opens with a fairly shonky, if typical of the time, sci-fi title sequence of a picture of some stars and the actor names Tony Haygarth, Patsy Rowlands, Colin Givons and Prunella G popping up in a relatively understated space-age typeface, all backed by a portentous electronic score that screams that great things are indeed afoot. A moving animated blob lasers out the title Kinvig and we're off. I don't imagine it's any coincidence that the episode starts with a close-up of Des Kinvig asleep and dreaming of some rubbish-looking rubbery space aliens. Space aliens, incidentally, that bear more than a passing resemblance to those seen in the Wild Hunt sequences in Quatermass and the Pit. Although I can't imagine too many of the ITV audience in 1981 would have made that leap. There are slightly embarrassed chuckles from the audience on the soundtrack, which do kind of draw attention to themselves, not least because the laugh track for this entire episode seems strangely muted. It's as if... Despite the warm-up gags and the free sherry, the crowd they got in to watch this were a particularly mirthless bunch. Or maybe, just maybe, it's just not... No, no, let's be kind. Patsy Rowlands appears, playing Netta rather beautifully as a vision of sweet innocence and devotion, despite her own lost hopes waking our hero with a cup of tea and a slight admonishment telling him he's a naughty boy for having a nap. On the bed... Their dog, and it is implied possible child substitute Cuddly, called that because he once was, possibly has fleas, which does not perturb either of them too much. Des Kinvig's rather oddly childlike relationship with Netta is a highlight of the programme, and they seem happily sweet and tickly, as we find out Des has 
a lot to do preventing him from fixing things at home in his job running Daddy's Shop, another fine example of Nigel Neal painting in a rich and colourful backstory with the minimum of paint strokes. We cut to a location, the rather beautiful realisation of the rundown shop that they have both just been discussing. Inside, later on that same morning, an elderly Mrs Snell, played with suitable dignity by Betty Hardy, is in discussion with Des as to why her ancient and presumably much-loved wireless set is still not fixed, which tells us an awful lot about the feckless Des and his lazy ways. While he laments the passing of old technologies and struggles to find the parts, his suggestion that she might take it somewhere else comes with a huge slab of reality biting, as Mrs. Snell replies, There is only you. A world has passed. Repairmen cannot be found in this brave, thrusting technological age of 1981. Dares, we now discover, is also a kind man, and he offers to keep on trying to fix the wireless. After all, he might be able to fix it. You never know. As Mrs. Snell forlornly departs, Brunella, Brunella G bursts in as a human hurricane of youthful 80s energy and a television ideal of supposed loveliness, demanding the door keys she ordered and giving Des what can only be described as a right good telling off. This is Miss Griffin, who has a mysterious double life, about which we will find out more later. We also begin to suspect that Des is stringing her along, just so he can see more of her because in the midst of a midlife crisis and despite the fact that Netta is lovely it becomes increasingly apparent that Des is smitten. Miss Griffin's life seems to be blighted by men bothering her which is why her need for new keys is so very urgent it seems and with demands that he ought to hurry and with a flurry of rather worrying insight about snoopers into her flat she departs promising to be back at quarter past five. Shortly afterwards Colin Jeevons appears, playing Des's friend Jim, greeting Des with an incredulous, You're working! which says it all. Jim is Des's fellow UFO enthusiast, and despite spending his life looking out for strange and mysterious things, totally failed to see the girl Des tells him about. In a cruel piece of observation by Neil, Jim is far more excited by his stack of copies of the Galactic Newsletter, a UFO newspaper of 1953 vintage which he has acquired from Neville, especially in reference to the article on the mothership in the June edition. There now follows a scene which is chock full of the kind of Nigel Neal prescience for which he has become rather well regarded in recent years, as Jim and Des, with occasional interruptions from Netta and Cuddly, with Netta spelling out words in front of the dog so as not to upset it, discuss various matters that nowadays we might think of as fake news. They address the alien landing site known as the Great Pyramid, and more thoughts, the pointy bit line is very good as well as the observations that a spacecraft would slide down the sides. Colin Jeevons is totally mesmerising throughout this, with those bright, belief-fuelled eyes giving, as he always does, a lovely performance as they tackle the knotty problems of human hands and the magazine story of Kerensky, Adamski, although Kerensky was a butcher, entities, valves, how they both disagree over versions of the truth, and Jim's particular scorn about official cameras recovering or covering up such things. There's also that... Buckingham Palace UFO that everybody knows about, which sounds very Twitter-esque. Jim wants to make contact with the UFO. In fact, he's desperate to see one, any kind. Not for proof, you understand, but just for himself. This brings us to another little moment of Neilian prescience, our modern fascination with the fear of missing out. And with that, off he goes to do that terribly 80s thing of signing on. In the shop, another disappointed customer departs, possibly to join a spin-off called The Disappointed Customers of Kinvig, which we might want to see developed someday. We find Des soldering at, as it turns out, 5.25 that afternoon. Miss Griffin returns to discover, to her utter exasperation, that there are still no keys. 
Des's excuse that he's got a rush on is funny, and whilst Miss Griffin angrily and without subtlety points out his lies, he finally starts to cut those keys. He's also terribly clumsy around her, as his efforts to actually start making the keys immediately suggest, though his efforts immediately stop once she leaves. There's a clock screen wipe. Ugh. Back to Des lying in bed. Funny things, those screen wipes. I remember once, back in the dawn of time, I spent a term at the film school trying to create tasteful video graphics and constantly having to stop the engineers from using ghastly wipes instead of fades. I think they were shiny and new back then and got the technicians terribly excited, whilst those of us trying to be all artistic were less so. Still, what do I know? The 30s Flash Gordon series are full of such exotic ways of leaping from scene to scene, presumably referencing the comics. So maybe, as this is supposed to be sci-fi, it's some sort of postmodern semiotic homage. Back in bed, Des dreams of Miss Griffin. So, is all of what follows just a dream? Certainly there's something resembling regeneration effects over Des's slumbers, which might imply strange and mysterious goings-on, but he apparently wakes up to find the dog on the bed, and so he goes out into the darkness of an actual night shoot to walk the dog wearing a rather horrid coat that has seen far better days and is therefore entirely appropriate. This street, with its dilapidation and knackered old fencing, has a very Quatermass film look about it, and the green lights that shine onto the close-up of his face through a hole in the corrugated iron fence only serve to enhance this feeling. Through this hole in the fence he sees dun, 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 a perspex UFO with loads of flashing lights parked on a piece of waste ground, looking for all the world like the low-budget close encounters it's supposed to be. With suitable drama, the door in the spaceship opens and, with the sort of smoke and laser effects that would make certain ultimate adventure stage shows possible, a space-suited figure emerges and points aboard. And Des wades through the dry ice and walks up the ramp to, well, the sort of shoddy spaceship set that rather reminded me of the horns of Nymon. Much of the same bits of it may well have been built from. The set is enhanced by some huge valves which actually show off some rather impressive production design. We then see Miss Griffin, not the real-world shouting machine from the shop, but the dreamy spacewoman version of her, all dressed down in her revealing pulpy space gear, being assisted by three proper bonkers-looking old aliens. Miss Griffin now has ridiculously over-the-top conical space hair, and her costume has colours that have a very slight Gallifreyan air. Crikey, Mr. Neil really didn't like Doctor Who at all, did he? Anyway, she greets Des with a suitably portentous Mr. Kinvig welcome, which acts as a cliffhanger of a sort, as it's the end of part one. Not the end of episode one, dear listener. Be honest, you thought he'd got off lightly, didn't you? But because this is ITV, we have to have an advert break. <clears throat> listen around the archives, tell your friends, and make them listen around the archives. You know that it makes sense. Part two begins with a different wider view and we get to see Prunella G in all of her space-costumed magnificence, and we get a far better view of her silver space boots. <clears throat> we might want to pause for a moment here and ponder upon the costuming of women in 1940s and 1950s pulp science fiction and how it's being referenced here in a totally non-gratuitous way, but I begin to suspect that this is just how the audience might expect a woman from outer space might probably dress. Or maybe that's just Des. Satire, eh? Ain't it grand? You do start to think that this must indeed be all a dream. The strange manifestations of 
Des Kindig's bizarre fantasies, a belief that is supported by all those sequences of Des asleep. Certainly, when his own words from his earlier conversation with Jim about Venus being too hot to live on are echoed back to him by the space aliens as they explain that they've come where they've come from, and when Miss Griffin compliments him upon his exceptional brain, we do start to believe that there's been some kind of reality leap. Well, maybe that's what Neil wants us to think. I'm sure the average viewer back then might have been just wondering what the hell was going on. Or maybe that's what Neil wants us to think. Anyway, the three rubbery aliens supporting Miss Griffin, they may have been called Loon Datsaki, my notes become a little too scribbly at this point, and their habit of splitting their sentences between the three of them gets a little indecipherable in my ageing years, ultimately explain that they come from the hollow interior of Mercury, which would be too hot otherwise. Miss Griffin, to baffle us further, is emphatic. This dreamlike scenario is definitely not a dream. It was her way of bringing Des to her, because they need help, and Des Kinvig has, hilariously, passed their test. Des is suitably impressed that these space-travelling super-beings still use valves, because he's always thought that trans transistors were a passing phase, which is a nice nod back to the seed planted in his discussion with Mrs Snell at the start of the episode. Languages, happily, and once again adding to the sense of it being in a dream, Des has bought his soldering iron along with him, and he produces it, sonic screwdriver-like, from his pocket, and proceeds to set about fixing the spaceship, despite the fact it's one of those electronic soldering irons with a lathe, which remains not plugged in while he does so. It's funny, what was believable to viewers electronically back then? If it had been cordless, a 1980s viewer would have been screaming, where would you put the batteries? at the screen in a way that a modern viewer, so used to gadgets that are wafer-thin, rechargeable and Wi-Fi enabled, simply wouldn't care about. They'd hacked off the lead. Mind you, if they'd done that, I'm sure the props department would have had their hides. Anyway, whilst all of this repair shop magic is going on, we learn of the aliens' ancestors and their escape from Atlantis and how they went to Mercury, taking a chunk of our ocean with them to form their inland sea, which is quite poetic in a way and achingly evocative of the other forms of science fa fantasy that I suspect several viewers might prefer to be watching. Anyway... With the ship all fixed in an unlikely manner, a comedy car-starting noise restores it to life, and Miss Griffin kisses Dares, who asks, not unreasonably under the circumstances, I suppose, whether he will ever see Miss Griffin again. She explains that there is much for him to do, and that he has many, well, ultimately only six more, dangerous tasks for him to perform. None of which seem to phase our Des, thinking, we suspect, in a not very reconstructed way, with other things other than his brain. Certainly the fact that he must keep all this a secret from his wife raises an arch titter from the audience, nudge nudge, say no more, but he does seem rather more con concerned as to whether we can tell he can tell Jim, which is even funnier apparently. The past is another country, etc, etc. Nevertheless, as the romance theme builds behind them, Des leaves the ship, wading through more smoke and laser effects. Well, they had paid for them, so they might as well use them. And, with a red light shining onto his face in a very Quatermass in the Pit movie way, the flying saucer departs, backed by some suitably naff wonder music and dodgy video effects. After which, there's another one of those dodgy video screen wipes, back to Des daydreaming in the shop, presumably sometime the following day. Jim has acquired what he refers to as a scientific calculator several years later than everyone else did to help him to calculate stuff. But Des can't wait to tell him in a very matter-of-fact way about last night and how he found a spaceship. 
Jim is all rather nonplussed by this. Despite the cross-cutting to close-ups of Cuddly, presumably confirming Dez's stories, Jim's face is a picture as Dez explains that he went inside and explains to him about the friendly entities he met. Much of this is interspersed with cuts to Netta, presumably to emphasise his guilty little secret and why he's scared of being overheard. Jim, of course, is crestfallen. Why couldn't it have been me, he bellows, jealous as hell. Although when Des explains about the colossal valves, he is far more supportive, as it's just like he always said. In the midst of all this, another disappointed customer, Tick, is told to get out, and she, as she departs to a location not far away, this elderly woman collides with the earthbound version of Miss Griffin, who then bursts into the shop in a whirlwind of ghastly pink top and waving her broken shoe heel at Des with an angry demand that he should fix it. Otherwise, terrible things will be done to him. Given his new insider knowledge, Jim's face is a picture and a masterclass of subtly brilliant acting for television. Meanwhile, as Miss Griffin, in extreme close-up, leaps to the dubious defence of poor old biddies everywhere, we see Kinvig's point of view as real-world Miss Griffin becomes space Miss Griffin, explaining that they will both have dangerous tasks to do together, and Miss Griffin, to Desi's absolute joy, will continue to be Miss Griffin, with the awful temper to mask her true identity. Hurrah! The episode ends with an oddly jubilant end theme, which again, sort of smacks of how people might think scientific music might sound. What this all says about male-female relationships, fidelity and the fantasies of middle-aged men in the early 1980s is anybody's guess, but despite being surprisingly low-key, the first episode of Kinvig really is a rather lovely half-hour of television, in all honesty, even though nothing very much actually happens, and some of the execution is slightly lousy in a goodies-moving-to-ITV sort of a way. The problem is, I suppose, that, as sitcoms go, it's not actually all that funny. It's a character piece, and, as that... It, all, it does stand up rather well. All those lovely bits and pieces that make Neil's characters resonate are there in abundance. Maybe it's the nature of the characters. They're hopeless dreamers, losers, in some eyes, nutters, eccentrics, and possibly just the sort of people ordinary ITV viewers might go out of their way to avoid, which is, I imagine, why Nigel Neal's Kinvig has rather been consigned to the dustbin of forgotten television. There's never become another Hitchhiker's Guide, Red Dwarf, or Only Fools and Horses. And, to be honest, I guess that's not really any surprise. And that's rather a shame, I think, because the hopeless dreamers, losers, nutters and eccentrics are actually people that need to be seen and heard more of in popular culture. Well, I hope so, anyway. Thank you very much to Mr. Martin. Yes, thank you, Martin. Lovely, lovely. Yes. Um, one or two little minor notes. Mm -hmm. The aliens were Loon, Bat and Saga. 
according to the end credits. Okay. Um, the direction credit is interesting for episode one because it says mm-hmm. directed by Les Chatfield with Brian Simmons. Later nice. episodes just say produced and directed by Les Chatfield. Okay. And his name explodes in various different ways. And I've, I've okay. wasted five minutes going through all the ways his, okay. his name explodes at the uh-huh. end. So I don't know quite um, what happened to Brian Simmons after episode one and why it says with. Mm. Uh, you don't tend to see credits that say with, with but no, there we go. No. You did that bit. But I, I, quite, that bit. I quite like King Big. Yeah, I know there's fun. things wrong with it, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't mind it. No. I'm always a little disappointed by the ending there. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I can understand that. Anyway, hmm. um, next uh, we're going to talk about Doctor Who on Twitch. We are. Aren't we? Which is, is at the moment. Yes. Um, as of today of recording, we're into mm. season 13, aren't we? We are. So, yes. And uh, then Warren joins us to talk about the first episode of The Gentle Touch. Yes. And then that'll be pretty much it for this it issue. It will. So, there yes. we go. But we'll come back at the end and mm-hmm. tidy up some things and yes. uh, say what you've got to look forward to, maybe. Yes. Once we can think of something. Yes. <laughs> okay. See okay. you soon then. Bye bye. Good evening, Lisa. It's good. Is it good evening? Okay, good well, evening. Well, it might be. There's a, there's a small chance. Sort of good afternoon, really. I don't know when it? people listen to these things, whether they listen to them in the bath. Okay, perhaps you should just say hello. 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 Right, Doctor Who on Twitch, Twitch is the sort of talk of the town the at the moment. Talk of the town. It's the talk of the town amongst the people we look we follow on Twitter. Yes. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> let's let's sort of talk about it and explain what it is for those who don't know yes. twitch is a um it's a streaming service it, mm-hmm. uh, it's for gaming and things yeah. like that um and for the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. starting at the beginning which is a good place to start they have been streaming doctor who yes and it's gone down very well yes it's basically almost every complete story of the 1963 to yeah. 1989 run, yes. bar a few exceptions. Exceptions, mm. most notably, um, Dalek stories not written by Terry Nation. Yes, but a few other stories yeah. have been sort of jumped over yeah. here. Uh, here ones with um, animated episodes. Yeah. Although the Web of Fear got a complete showing with, yes. with the Telesnap reconstructed episode yes. three. Because I think because there was probably only one person to contact mm. about that, rather than dozens and dozens of um, uh, you know animators but why why are we talking about it and why why is it important to talk about this because it's it shows the power of doctor who yeah because you know you might think oh i mean is anybody going to watch that is yeah. anybody going to watch it and talk about it and amazingly they do yes they love it i mean it's been shown three times yeah because it, it starts in the uk at 7 at 7 p.m 11 a.m in america yeah um and then it'll be shown twice more so everybody gets a chance i mean you, you, to, to catch most, it. most nights you get about three stories don't yes. you yeah. depending on the length depending of the on stories. how long they are yes. yeah. yeah um but yeah we started with unearthly child and mm-hmm. what was been shown today was it um, up to carnival of the monsters, yeah, carnival monsters. So there's yeah. three doctors and carnival of the monsters but that's a hangover from yesterday because uh, we should say today is Saturday, yeah. the 16th of June. They don't actually show episodes on a Saturday and a Sunday, yeah. but they do show... Time Monster was on as well, wasn't it? As part of oh, Time Monster, run, yes. Run, yeah. yes. Um, they do show 
the episodes say mm. three times. So they started last night and it'll go into today. Yeah, but the and way, then the, we're gonna stick to the way it works is you get the episodes, but you also mm. get a chat room. Yes. Um, in the sort of corner yes. as well. Yeah. And I've never, I mean, I've never really spent much time in any chat room. The only no. one I've been in is the one for Paul's. Um, live shy life yes. podcast shows, it's podcast, so. and usually it's it's me, Paul, and maybe one or two other people. people yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all, all so it doesn't go very fast. Yeah, um, yeah, but but this is well, there, there is, there's thousands of people watching. Yeah, at um, any time. The last time I signed on to it, there was mm. three thousand people watching. Yeah, which was about. 11 o'clock this morning yeah but it's usually about six or more I yeah think. it can yeah. be six or more that's no so way the, the, the comments really scroll but past very very quickly very quickly yes. yes but in some ways it's like I, i've regarded this as another step in the evolution of fandom yeah um yeah because you know you and i have been sort of knocking around fandom for a long time yes. now and the only way you got to know people's opinions on other stories was mm-hmm. through fanzine letter pages, yeah. really. Yeah. So somebody might review a story in one edition of a fanzine, mm-hmm. and one or two people might write in with a comment, mm-hmm. and then a couple of months later those letters might get printed. Mm-hmm. Um, but inevitably with social media and things like yes. Twitter and stuff like mm-hmm. that if an episode gets broadcast you find out on the telly away. you know what people yes. think about it fairly quickly uh, sometimes almost while it's on mm. but this yes. is absolutely as it's playing yeah, it's instant yeah, yeah. instant and mm. it, it has amused me how much people are willing to sort of indulge the yeah. old production values yeah. I mean they've, they've struggled with a few of the effects yeah um, and some of the attitudes. Yeah. But generally, for what I assume is a youngish audience and, yeah. y- and a new audience, mm-hmm. it's obvious there are some people in the chat room that are as ancient as us and, yeah. and sort of have seen, seen everything. Yes. But there's a lot of people for mm. whom all this is new and yeah. they're reacting to yeah. it. And it's, it's, it's really nice to see how much they're enjoying it. Yeah. You know, they absolutely loved Hartnell's Doctor. They absolutely loved Trump's doctor, and they love Pertwee. Yeah, they love Pertwee. And what's mm. what's amused me is the catch, the new catchphrases yes. that have, have evolved. Yes. They got very excited because what they do before each doctor, in between episodes, they have questions. Not all of those are right, mm. unfortunately. Somebody's not really done their research. Somebody's got seeds of doom and seeds of death mixed up, oh, right, mixed okay. up. And but they would they whichever doctor is is currently showing, they have a little trailer. Yeah with clips of the stories they'll be showing um, or not showing in the case of Patrick Troughton because <laughs> they show clips from the Ice Warriors and then decided they not to show, show the Ice it, Warriors. Yeah. But one of the clips they showed for William Hartnell's Doctor was Ian and Barbara arriving back in London oh, at the end the of chase. the chase. Yeah. And, and of course Ian comes out of the, the Dalek spaceship and says, we made it, Barbara, London, 1965. And this has caught on... They're still quoting it now. Yeah, you'd have um, dozens of people just yeah, saying just London, London 1965, 1965 and it's scrolling up yes. really fast. Yeah. But at the moment, it's um, IKEA. IKEA, yes, yeah. which is 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 what is not quite what the doctor says, but in the Sea Devils when he has to fight with the master. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, what what's also interesting is that we've done the sort of running commentary on it ourselves, yes. haven't we? Most nights mm-hmm. by doing uh, videos about the story, episodes, the yeah. stories, and. It's obvious that um, 
amazingly, these are the most watched things on our YouTube yes, channel as well. Yes. I think the Doctor Who not on Twitch one mm-hmm. is is done by far the best business because because that one was about the episodes they wouldn't yeah we've attempted to sort of plug the gaps for people by saying there were books and how you could yes how you could access them and and things like that yes Um, but what's nice is that um the was it last night no thursday Thursday night night, wasn't it um (laughs) somebody actually sort of said hello to andrew and lisa if you're watching this and i saw it scroll past yeah um and i thought oh blimey are we that (laughs) <laughs> are we that missed yes <laughs> uh, so we did actually sign into the chat room yes. today so we will try and interact a little more yeah i mean mm. i i almost don't want to sort of influence people that's the thing no, i just want no. people to enjoy it and get on with it i think they are i yeah. think they are and which is why i much prefer commenting just, a day or two yes. later yeah. that everybody's and decided what they like or yeah. don't like I'm not here to say what's no. good or bad. It's or, really nice no. as well because each companion that comes along, they like just as much mm. as the last companion. I mean, they absolutely loved Barbara. Mm. They loved Vicky. They, they loved Liz. And they yeah. loved Joe. And no doubt in a day or two, about sort of when Tuesday or Wednesday, they'll start to really love Sarah. I mean, sort of season three and four and indeed five were of course a bit of a problem in yes. that people just if you only show the complete stories people just come and go with As, no, yeah, apparent no, no apparent rhyme or reason no. No. um so like sort of dodo joins just mm. like that and of course even in her existing stuff she just disappears at yes. the, um in in the mm. war machines episode two isn't i it? struggle yeah. with dodo a little bit yeah. possibly because there's not enough material and also and this is not a reflection on on um, Jackie Lane, yeah. but the production team couldn't decide who she was and what accent well, she was supposed to Well, as I do. said to you elsewhere, she sort of the character of Dodo unfortunately falls between the cracks in in various production yes. teams, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, just as she joins the the people that invented her leave, basically. Yeah. And the next team aren't that interested. Yeah. I mean mm. that that's that that would be inevitable for anyone that mm. you want to do your own characters. You're not interested in no. in what the previous team did. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's I think it's it's been a really interesting experiment, and I'm I'm just excited because they're not the trouble is they don't do them over the weekend, and we're no. recording this on a Saturday, yes. so we won't get any new stuff now till to Monday till Monday night, and, and we're getting perilously close to the end of John Pertwee's era. Mm. And the the end of of Joe Grant as a companion, yeah. and I think they're going to miss Joe because yeah. they like, and they're going to miss Unit because yeah. they like to see um, Sergeant Benton and the Brigadier and Captain Yates and the Master. We're getting yeah. cl- very close to the end of Roger Roger Delgado as the Master. But I mean, years ago, um, I'm trying to think who it was, but there was an article in uh, DWB about um, the way that an audience just gets used to characters yeah. and set up yeah. so the longer a character tends to hang around for mm. the more they become loved yes um which is why mm. i think ian and barbara were a success right at the start because yes. they were there for, for the first two effectively years. two seasons, seasons and most yeah. of those first two seasons Exist. survive yes. um, they loved ian i mean ian, yeah. ian i mean ian is a great character you forget how great yeah. he is and and 
as I think I said on one of the videos, you know, all this nonsense recently about the companion shouldn't be the focus of the show, and mm. and hello, Ian and Barbara. But unfortunately, it does fl- it does flag up how little complete Troughton there is actually. Yes. I mean, Tr- there's more than there used to be. Yeah. But... Troughton was done in about three days, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. But again, everybody was so pleased to see him come back for yeah. the three doctors. Three doctors. Yeah, Troughton, yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean. This, this this has been wonderful to see. Yes, it gladdens our old fan hearts. Yes, is, is, to see all these new young people who will hopefully the, continue. The, young, the youngsters continue. Who will, yes, continue to watch Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> but but we've had a few sort of um, sort of introductory bits at the start as well yes. for each Doctor, yes. and the one that really I really liked was the one with Katie Manning on the sofa being mm-hmm. being. You know, just being Katie. Yes. But it was, it was a lovely little tribute she gave to fandom as yeah. well about yeah. how the show itself inspires people to be creative. Yes. And I thought that was well worth saying. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, we sit here and we do all this nonsense, but there, <laughs> are, there are lots of people that just write and, and draw and make music and write, do stories and... and loads and loads of good stuff just yep. comes on the back of mm-hmm. you know stuff that people did you know 40 50 years ago yeah and what's happening over the next you know what's happened over the last few weeks and will happen over the next few weeks more of that creativity is now going to be inspired yeah. Yeah. by what people have effectively got for free yes because that's what we yes. should say as well that th- this is basically a free service it isn't is it? You, yeah. you do get adverts yeah it's, yes um, it's paid for by yeah. by the few adverts that you you yeah. do get but um I, I i would be interested to see if there's going to be a, a, a noticeable spike in dvd sales possibly i don't mm-hmm. know I, I, would, I would hope so yeah. uh, and equally with the with the blu-ray of season 12 coming out mm-hmm. fairly soon yes um, I think I think it wouldn't hurt if we, you know, promoted that a bit no. as well. Just, no. just, just to, because although you know they are using the decent copies, and yes. it is obvious that they are um, having the Blu-ray will still give you a much better. Oh gosh, copy yes. and you get all anyway. the extras as well. And you know, yes. if, if 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 those if the season twelve Blu-ray comes off, they'll do more. Hopefully, we can get a bit yeah. more in that in that vein. Yes. We, we shall see. But yes, hurrah for Doctor Who on Twitch, I yes. think. It's and and all those people that are, are watching and enjoy it, I it, hope it, you continue it, to it enjoy did, it. It did sound like a, a, a very strange idea when I first heard yes. about it, because I was unsure mm. whether it would work or whether mm-hmm. it would just fall flat on its face after two days. Yeah. But it really hasn't. It's no, no. really worked. No. And it's really nice to to come down in the morning and, and go, oh, I wonder what episode they're well, what showing. Is it, what was it you said? We go to bed. Yes. And then you get up the next morning. And, and a lot of the time they're roughly at the same position they yeah, were the night before. Because of the way the schedule yeah. works. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yes. not by the time we release this podcast, it will probably be, you know, well, well, well into Tom Baker, yeah. won't, won't yes. it? Because you know, yes. we won't get this out quite as I record this. But no. Yeah. Let's see where this goes then. So, yes. Okay. Okay. We'll say cheerio then. All right then. Back with something else soon then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Hello, Lisa. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Warren. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Warren. Hello, Lisa. Hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we have just watched episode one of The Gentle Touch. We have. Haven't we? Not yes. The Gentle Sex. Not The Gentle Sex. From no. 321. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder where that was going there. I wondered you? where that was going. <laughs> yeah. The Gentle Touch from the 11th of April. 1980. Mm. As part of Spring on ITV. Yeah. Yes. All part of the new season. Yes. Mm. Uh, the episode is Killers, mm-hmm. written by Brian Finch. So, tell mm. us about this series then, boys and girls, because this one's it's this one's yours. It's about a lady policewoman, a lady policewoman. Policeman. <laughs> 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 police yes. um, it's about Detective Inspector. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten her name. Oh, Maggie Forbes. Maggie, Maggie Forbes. Forbes. Sorry, I was thinking Jill. That's the actress's name. Yes. Played by Jill Gascoigne. Oh, the lovely Jill. Gascoigne. Lovely Jill Gascoigne, who would go on to star in. Cat's eyes, which is so ridiculously over the top, it's you have to see it to believe I was it. Deeply disappointed. She yes. plays the same character in Cat's she Eyes, does. which really yeah. sort of yeah, yeah. They're two mm. different series. They so, are. Yeah, yeah, and yes, and she's a she's just been promoted to detective inspector, and her husband is a a down to earth PC, flatfoot, flatfoot, a plod. Plod. Yeah. Leslie Schofield. Leslie Schofield. Sans moustache. And to be honest with you, Leslie Schofield doesn't appear on much telly in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> no, 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 he's not that much. He's a bit like Peter Davison, when, yeah. uh, you know, he, but, he appears in everything. We kick off with the opening music, yes. which you mm. said is quite... It's a bit wishy-washy. Yeah, right, okay. yeah. It, I mean, it's quite 80s, because it's got little sort of zizzy bits in it. Um <laughs> Zizzy bit. Zizzy bit. Okay. Yeah. And the, um, t- the title sequence is black and white photos. Photos. Yeah. yeah. They've not quite decided what they want to do at this point. No, they did release the um, the the titles as a single. Ah, you okay. went quiet there. Yes, yeah. they released yeah. it as a single because it's quite popular. Gosh. But let's just go through what we see in the episode. I'll just yes. chuck words at you. Okay. Because um, I, I just single okay. words as much as <laughs> possible. Um, helmet. Helmet. Yes, that's. Um, Leslie Schofield <laughs> so rude. is hanging on a hook in the hall. In the hall. Leslie Schofield is hanging his equipment on the hall to keep it free from dust and rust. Mm. Yeah. But you yeah. said they w- you wouldn't do that. You'd keep no. it in a locker at work. Yeah, keep, yeah, you wouldn't take that home with yeah. you. No, you you could take your jacket home and get it dry cleaned. Okay, mm-hmm. could you get coupons for that? But you you weren't allowed to take things like mm-hmm. your helmet home. But it's know? purely. It's shorthand for the audience. It's just to remind you. Well, we don't know at that point that um, they're police officers, do no. it's not. So we have to have that visualization. Mm. So it's a bit like the police car chasing the car through the field, as mm-hmm. I was talking to you about earlier. Ian and Marta said that it has its siren going, just to remind the audience that it's a police car in a field in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> fag in bed. Yeah, yes, a fag. Oh, okay. sorry. Yes, yeah. He has uh, a smoke. Yes. yes. Mr. Schofield's having a smoke in bed, yeah, isn't he? Sure. Yeah. Though you don't actually see him smoke it. No, it also hangs out the corner of his mouth when yeah. he comes downstairs, yeah. doesn't it? But you don't actually see him smoke, no. And he's had a bottle of wine. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. you know. Bottle of red. Bottle of red. <laughs> yeah, which I would have thought he'd have been a beer man myself. Yeah. yeah. But is that he's, being stereotypical? Well, possibly. Is he the new 80s he's man? He's the new 80s man. He drinks wine. But then we see some of the guest stars mm-hmm. in the episode. And yes. I've put Stephen Yardley. Yes. And I've put Mrs. Muddle. Mrs. Muddle. From yes, Pipkins. From Pipkins. Otherwise known as... Sue Nichols. Yeah. Who plays his wife. Yeah. Mm. His, his mole. 
He's what? Mole. Mole. He's yeah. gangster's mole. He digs holes in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> and then they've got a kid as well. Yeah. And I put fag again. Yes. There's Every, a lot of smoking. It's the 80s. Smoke. It's the 80s, yeah. Yeah. Brian Croucher plus backdrop. Oh, Brian yes. Olivier Croucher. Yes. Not doing too bad a job this time. He actually mm-hmm. could, yeah, so, as we were saying during it, um, some things he can be very wishy-washy as a villain, mm-hmm. depending upon the production. Yeah. This one, they're letting him be nasty. And yes. he does look as though he would knock seven bells He out does, he does. You wouldn't want to argue with him. You no. didn't once, did you, Lisa? No, no. I once met Brian Croucher at a Blake Seven convention. And it was an extraordinarily polite cue. Okay. Yes. It was, you know, you, you get to the end, you say, hello, Mr. Croucher. You'd sign your photo or whatever. Thank you, Mr. Croucher. And off you'd go. Did he break kneecaps? If you no, no, no. But he, I mean, he's probably not like that at all. But he just uh, gives this a, he's he, just, a, he comes across as a rough diamond. Yes. Yes. And also, I think there is another Brian Croucher story, which is nothing to do with the gentle touch, but it's to do with when he was in Shakedown. Mm. And um, I think he was interviewed by somebody, mm. and and they asked his daughter a question, mm. and she went, "Well, that was a bloody silly question, wasn't it?" <laughs> All I put for, for his entrance is his his eyes got better. Yes, yes, <laughs> he's got two eyes again and two arms. Now he's two got arms. a hold all, which is yes. the sort of thing you oh. might we- might win as part of a set mm. on three, two, one, isn't it? Yeah, it's leatherette, <laughs> leatherette, plastic, otherwise <laughs> brown plastic. Hold-all. And what's in the hold all? A sawn off side by side double barreled shotgun. A side, shooter. Side by side. Yeah, you could have mean? an um, up and over, right. which is two barrels above each other, right. side by side. Oh, look at that. Uh, mm. Not a police shirt. Yeah, mm. um, Mr. Schofield's not wearing a police issue shirt. Mm. It's got no epilepsy. It's just a no white pockets. shirt, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And I put tie. Oh, not clip-on. Clip-on ties would have been brought in in 79-80, and he mm. didn't. He had a normal tie. Mm. But he gets a scene now, doesn't he? He gets a scene. He makes where, a scene. Mm. Where, where he says he's he's not happy. Mm. He's not happy. So he, he gives a sort of speech. Yes, he's he? fed up of being called a pig and scum and all. And, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the other one. It's not about a fascist. Fascist pig. Fascist yeah, pig, yeah. yeah. Which I can sort of understand because he's got all he, he, he's a PC and he gets all the dirty jobs, the marches, yeah. the football games, getting spat at, and not being able to retaliate. Quite rightly so, but wearing a silly helmet. Wearing a silly helmet. Yes. I put Jake. Yes. Jake, my Jake. Jake. Uh, he's the uh, DS, and he comes along to pick up Maggie to take her to work. Played by Paul Moriarty. He's played by Paul yeah. Moriarty, who will play um, at least one more policeman. Yes. In a touch of frost, I think he's a he's a uniform sergeant. Isn't yeah. He? Yes, sir. He's yeah. my f- second favourite character in this, <laughs> joint with William Marlowe. My yes. first one is actually Jill Gascon. Yes. I'll come on to that later. Yeah. And I put filming. Yes. As they go outside. Yeah. Yeah, but it's is it film or is it video? I think it's video. It's, it's got that slightly clear, soft yeah. soft look that video's got. Mm. Yeah, it's not got the sort it's of not overlit as well no. either. Yeah. No. It looks real. It looks mm. you know London dirty. London was dirty yes. then, yeah. Well, it still is in some places, but filthy. Yes. Prescriptions. Or prescriptions. Yeah. Pharmacy. Yes. yes. Oh, well, cause, visit yes, to the pharmacy. Because Leslie Schofield has agreed to meet his wife for lunch. Um, as long as um, she pays. As long as she pays, because she, you know, she earns more than he does. Yes. And because he's he's sort of been a bit 
moody. He goes into the pharmacy to buy some I'd perfume. Say midlife moody. Midlife moody. Yeah, he's got to that point where he's thinking, "What's it all about?" His, his tolerance levels are really low. Yes. Well, you don't actually know what he's bought at this point. No. No. So well, you were speculating. Something yeah. for the weekend, yes. perhaps. Yes. And I put Jiggy Juggy. Jiggy Juggy. Because <laughs> I couldn't spell Jiggy Juggy. Oh, indeed, Jiggy Jiggy. Jiggy Jiggy. <laughs> jiggy Jiggy. And I asked you, where's this actually meant to be set? Well, Seven mm. Dials mm. is uh, the police station, and it's set in the area of Soho. All right. Nylons. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah, he puts his stocking on. Bog standard. Blimmin', I'm going to stick a stocking over my Would head. Would you not just wear a balaclava? You'd wear a balaclava. Because it covers your face more. Stockings are sort of a... Oh, pathé by then. And it does do the weird thing to your nose and your mouth. It sort oh, of stands yeah, it all yeah, about, yeah. doesn't it? Stephen Yardley looks like that anyway, so... <laughs> Action. Yeah. Not, Action. Not, not by, by havoc. havoc. Yes, yes. They, they run into one of the security guards in the van. Push him into the back and, room, and yeah, and make the other one lay on the ground, and then Leslie Schofield appears. So why does he? Why? How does he just come across? He's them? just walking past. Yeah, yeah. He's just literally walking past. Yeah. It's just unlucky. And then you get a freeze frame. Yes, they oh, shoot they, him. They let him have it. Let him have it with a gun. Yes. And then you get a slow mo fall. Yes. Yeah. You'll see that fall quite a lot. Yes, it's in the mm. opening title. Do you yes. see it again next week? Yeah. Yes. And forevermore, is it? Um, For this series, I think, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because the titles here, as you were saying about the still photographs, season two, you have upbeat uh, music mm. and fast action sequence titles, all taken from yes. series one, mm. mainly from story one. Mm. Right, so Leslie gets shot, and that's the first advert break. Yes. Yeah. First little cliffhanger. Yeah. It yeah. thrives on little cliffhangers. It's to, really good. Well, it's isn't to it? get them to come back after the advert. Yeah, go make your cup of tea and come yeah. back. You know, you've got three minutes. Yeah. Just enough time to boil the kettle. You've had enough of 10 to 12 minutes to get to identify the characters, feel a little empathy. He's a family man. Um, his wife also works in the police. They've got a young son. Uh, so they're the family group. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's been torn apart. But it's interesting to see how this episode is actually structured. I think it works very well in that, yeah, you, you go into the advert break and you want to come back yeah. afterwards. Don't so you? That's the whole point. You need to bring the audience back. But if you were to change this over to the BBC, it'd just be one continuous thing. Mm. And I think a natural break helps this. Mm. Yes. Because it's very heavy. It is. It now, is. now I've just written cardigan. Cardigan, yeah. Oh. <laughs> William Marlowe's got his cardigan Got his cardigan on. He likes his cardigan, cardigan old darling. At least he buttoned it up correctly, unlike Hunter in Cannes. Yes. <laughs> but, um, William Marlowe's an interesting character, and he they all develop throughout the entire mm. five series. Yeah. Um, William is not mentioned in this first episode, but William Marlowe and his wife, Jeannie, who's a, uh, a doctor, have a disabled child. Yeah, because there's lots of things about, cu- not cures, but treatments and things, yeah. isn't there? and that's what makes him sometimes a little short-tempered person. Mm. They talk about him and then they say, well, he's not a nasty person, it's just the pressures he has at home. Mm. Mm. And that's quite interesting how they let that bleed through his character. But it was just, when he talks to criminals, he calls them old love and mm. darling, <laughs> even the men, and mm. it's quite funny. And his sheepskin coat, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Charlie. Charlie, yes. <laughs> I, otherwise known as Derek Thompson. Yeah, why Charlie then? Because he plays that? Charlie Fairhead to this day in Casualty. Yeah. He's the longest serving yeah, he's been Casualty in for about member. 900 he's, years, hasn't he's he? He's been yeah. in it since the beginning. You can measure your, measure your, where you are in Casualty by what 
colour hair Charlie's got. Whether he's got hair. Yeah. <laughs> he's got big hair in this. Yeah. yeah. If he's got a sheepskin coat on, because he wears a sheepskin coat in yeah. or two. And who he's married to. Oh, he goes through a few, doesn't he? Does. He does. He's married to Duffy at the moment. He's, he is he? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. remember Duffy when she was doing her driving yeah. lesson in the second series. When she used to have a Bristol accent. Yeah, they all have Bristol accents yeah. and drop they them, don't they? They stopped that, didn't they? But um, with this, um, he's not married. And he, he goes through this parade of, of women. And he is not very good with women in this no. at all. <laughs> jacket. Yeah. Bad news. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. William Marlowe puts his jacket, jacket on. on to tell bad news. Yeah. Takes his cardio off to put the jacket on to tell yeah. bad news. You yeah. can sort of tell the moment he's put that jacket on what's going to happen. Yeah. So, and the fact he gets her to sit down as well. Yes. Yes. But it, did you notice he, he keeps it a normal pace? Come in, inspector. Yeah. Take a seat. Mm. So she doesn't know what's coming at that moment. It's no. not, come in, Maggie, take a seat. I've got yeah. some bad news for you. Come in, inspector, sit down. Mm. Then I just put eyes. Yeah, yeah there's a close-up of her. There's a held close-up, yes. and she's, she's got telling her. beautiful colour eyes. She has well. beautiful glass eyes, mm. but... It's all the not glass eyes. Glass, glass eyes. eyes. Yeah. Glassy eyes. <laughs> blue um, eyes. Blue eyes. Yeah. Uh, but it's as he's telling her, it's what the pupils are doing in the yeah. eyes, isn't it? She has, she has such a wonderful way of holding up a, a close-up shot and mm. showing all the emotion through her eyes. Yeah. And also, I did think I didn't probably say, but when he takes the phone call about her husband's death, you don't because it's a. Not everybody's good at phone acting, mm. but he is. Yeah, and he he doesn't that, yeah. even need to say anything. It's all in his face. You can tell that mm. something bad's happened. Then you get three fictional universes colliding in the next scene. <laughs> yes, um, which to me is um, Blake Seven, mm-hmm. um, Pipkins mm. stroke Rent a Ghost, mm. and Howard's Way. <laughs> <laughs> what a mix! Yes, yeah, yeah. and the use of the word shooter. Shooter, shooter, yeah. shooter girl, and mm. you wasted a copper. Yes. <laughs> now, question um, that you had, Lisa: Do mm. all police stations have a picture of the Queen and a bottle of whiskey? <laughs> you can answer that question without incriminating 1980. yourself. Nineteen eighty. Yeah, all police stations have a picture of the Queen. They're obliged mm. to have a picture of the Queen. We still have pictures of Queen now. We got one in our canteen. Um, Does the picture of the Queen get updated as she gets older? No, it's always the one of her. The ones I've always seen is all of her in the the in complete regal garb, the coronation. Yeah, robes. that's yeah. what I've always seen. Mm. Always seen in all the police stations I've been Not in. Not with her funky sunglasses on, like she's been more recently. No, with the G and T in her hand. No, yeah. nothing <laughs> like that. No, and oh, the bottle of scotch. Yeah, mm. right. The bottle of scotch. Um, everybody thinks is TV fallacy. No, it does exist in that time. CID did have a bottle of scotch in the DI's drawer with the polystyrene cups or mugs. And, yeah, they would celebrate a... Uh, when I first started, yes, we, we arrested somebody particularly nasty in CID. Gave us a little tot of whiskey. But whether that still exists now, I couldn't possibly tell you. Picture of Jack Warner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Norfolk Police Station has a picture of Jack Warner signed and it hangs on the wall and it says to all the staff at Northwood Police Station, which makes me chuckle, yeah, remembering that. Pride of Place. Pride of Place. And the, the ne- next to the picture of the Queen in the front office. Well, it's, yeah. the, it's the King of Police and, and Her Absolutely, Majesty. Absolutely, yeah. Then we get a fade to black, mm. which is fairly rare. Yeah. Mm. In, a, in a fast-paced drama... But you said, how else would you transition to the next scene? It's, mm. it's a, pe- a period, time period thing, isn't it? Because you get the funeral on the news, mm. narrated by Gordon Honeycomb. Yeah, who mm. would have been doing the news then, yeah? And directed by 
somebody very ambitious for a news reporter. Yeah. Yes. I would say as well, they contradict themselves because they say that in the radio report that you get, because you, before, with the scene when you go out to the flat with the, with the villains, you get a radio report of the death. And it says he was killed instantly. Mm. In the television report, it says he dies in hospital. Yeah. So they have contradicted themselves. But well, I would say the radio report is probably the correct one because he does look like he dies instantly. But it depends what's been released to the press at the time. You, yeah. you do get situations like that, don't you? Mm. Oh, yeah, if things are fluid. But there are yes. shots in the news report that mm. you wouldn't get in the news oh, report. No. They are clearly staged um, mm. close-up shots. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's so neatly framed. Framed, mm. yeah. And I put Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> this is shoddy sort of uh, soddy, seedy slot machine place. Yeah, sort of. just it's just shoved on a high street, isn't it? Yeah. And it just says Vegas, and it's down. It's so seedy. unlike Vegas. And it's, oh. it's dirty and, and seedy, and, yeah. and yeah. Bags of rubbish outside, mm. and, uh, and use of the phrase "toe rag" as well. Yeah, oh. so you're ticking off a sort of. Uh, mm. Word cliches. Um, and one thing I would say is you you believe William Marlowe is a hard man. Yeah. You believe whatever yeah. he says, if he you, will do. If you were interviewed by him, you'd expect to get a slap. Yes. <laughs> and it mm. turns out perfume it was. Mm. Yes. What he bought. Yes. yes. So uh, map, on, map on wall. Oh, Anonymous map. This really, really annoys me. Um, (laughs) it just annoys me I've yet to go into an office in the police station and find a map centrally placed in the middle of the wall where everybody walks round it but why have you got maps everywhere and Juliet Bravo does it for a cutaway doesn't it Mm. and they're talking to somebody from London on the phone in one of the episodes so they shove him in front of a tube map (laughs) I've never been in a police station where there's a tube map hanging out. Probably it is one, but I've never seen that. And I've seen a divisional map, but the divisional map wouldn't be sat in the DI's office. It would be in the central CID office. In fact, no, that would be their division map with plotting all their crime. I just, uh, it just bugs me. It's just another thing to fill space in the office. Mm. Shiny shirts. Oh, nylon. Shiny 80s. Yeah, sure. Polyester, yeah, nylon shirt. Satin look, but oh, not satin. Yeah. I had a shiny shirt. Stand yeah. by the fire, go up yeah. in flames. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's and whatever you do, obligatory. You whatever you do, just make sure you've got the right soles on your Yeah, shoes. otherwise you're just you're static. static. <laughs> I'm bad for that now, aren't I? Yeah, I tattoo sometimes shocked, to give you a shot. Yeah. The cat, get one off the Star television. Road, do you run along <laughs> on the metal floor? <laughs> static electricity, yeah. <laughs> Actual coffee in cups. Yeah, yeah. There was steam. Proper seventies cups oh, as well. Oh, lovely chunky, brown with with um, clay cups. Uh, you know the sort of circle pattern and the thick saucer, isn't the thick it? Yeah. Saucer. Yeah, cups and saucers. Nobody drinks out cups and saucers these no. days. That was the type of cup and saucer that if you dropped on the floor, wouldn't break. It would no. bounce because it's so flipping solid. Yeah, it was really thick. Yeah, yeah. held the heat. Then a word I wasn't expecting to write down when I started this Eskimo. 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 That's her um, uh, informer or snout um, <laughs> who it phones her up to say he's, he's got some names. Market. Okay. <laughs> yes. Market. Yes. He's a market stallholder. Yeah, market but... stallholder. Does that make sense? A stallholder in a market. But we said about the film. Lovely pears. Come and get your pears here. He sells furniture, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 yeah, it looks like they've just Queen stuck Anne's a van legs. 
in the market and filmed because either they're very good extras or they're actual real people. And to be fair, it looked bloody cold. It so did I think look it was cold. really early yes. in the morning. Yes. So they've just said to somebody, can we board your stall to do an mm. hour's filming? And that's yeah. probably what they've done. Pay them 50 quid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I've put my love. So that must yeah. be must be a reference to William Marley. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Armstrong Terrace apparently is uh, mm. was the was the address he quoted N six. Mm. So we might look yes. that up later to see if there's such a thing exists. Mm-hmm. North six. Yeah. Um, fag down to filter. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. you the, well, this is the um, getaway driver's mother. Now the getaway driver. Is perceived as the weak link. Yes. Yeah. As we will find out shortly. Yes. Yes. And they go to see him, and his mother opens the door, shuffles along in her carpet slippers. She looked either drunk or drugged, didn't yeah. she? she was With a, a fag in her mouth, which is down to the filter. Now, I never understand why my mum would, because my mum used to smoke, and she would. She wouldn't smoke it down to the filter, but she'd let it burn and it'd get to the filter, and then you get that the horrible, horrible smell. smell, yeah. Um, that that f- smell of foam. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Warrant card. Oh yes, warrant cards. Uh, yeah, warrant cards uh, in those days were a plastic fold-over job, um, which would have their. They'd only just started really putting their pictures on them, and it would be like a bus pass, literally a bus pass with a plastic um, picture of the badge, and then you'd have your picture and your details. Didn't come on to having a badge till later in the eighties, you know. But yeah, the the warrant cards were literally just hold it open like bus passes. Backdrop. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The five year olds from the local primary school were painting the backdrops, weren't they? Because yeah. it's all studio outside the the set. You don't actually get. It's all ex- studio outside the set. You've we- just ruined it for me. I thought it was real world. You don't get. Um, you get outside filming, yeah. but you don't get the door to the outside. It's always a studio. Yeah, yeah, I know. What you Gentlemen, mean. this sur- this building is surrounded by film. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> pineapple. Pineapple. Your obligatory late seventies, early eighties. What is it even for? Is it to put ice, ice, ice cubes, cubes in? in? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Del Boy's got like, one. The highest bar. chic of the seventies. Yes. yes. Well, you, well, you got every cocktail bar. You want? I, they, they probably at one point had the old corner bar. Yeah. Jag equals villains. Oh, villains yes. always drive jags. The Mark II Unless you inspect a morse, of course. Yeah. But his is red. He's red and red. doesn't work properly. No. But yeah, your your obligatory sixties uh, and seventies getaway car, aka in the Sweeney, yes. would be a jag, wouldn't yeah. it? And I have to say, they're quite thick. Well, the drivers, the drivers, or the, jags? the drivers, yeah. the, the villains, because they go to. Um, I think they've obviously decided that the getaway driver, as we said, is the weak link. Yeah. And that he is the one that if anybody's going to give, it's going to be him. So they decide that this is, a, this is a sort of spoiler, but this is sort of 30 odd years old. So yeah. if you've not seen it. It's nearly 40. Nearly 40. Oh, right. Yeah, go and watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of it. But they decide to kill him. And they do it in their own car. They do it in their own car. And whenever they say, I'm going to follow somebody, mm. you would know if a car is following you doing mm. two miles an hour. Yeah, because you could hear it. And, and you could sort of see it. And what would you do? Not what the guy did. Cross in front of it. Yes. <laughs> Don't you look before you step no. out. Wouldn't you have recognised your mate's car with no. your mate driving no. in it as you go mm. over the bonnet mm. and the windscreen? <laughs> Staking out the housing estate. Yes. Oh. Again, this is something that sort of bugs me a bit in mm. police things because they'll follow somebody or 
what they'll sit and watch somebody and nobody you can't tell me nobody ever notices that car not in the kind of places they're in you've also got to look at the context of what sort of decade it was in from the 70s into the 80s so a london housing estate not everyone would have had a car then mm. and maggie's driving a brand new car that would stick out on the housing estate. And it's white as well, isn't yeah. it? That's not to say, by the way, people in the housing estates didn't have new cars. But yeah, it, it, it was something that was there. And with the passing of time, she's clearly there for hours. Yes. With a lone female sat in the car. Somebody's sort of going to notice. Sheepskin coat. Mm. Yeah. Willie Muller gets his coat on. Yeah, gets his, gets his woolly, woolly, woolly coat on. He's got on. loads of clothes on in there. He yeah. loves his sheepskin, yeah. darling. Uh, furniture and wallpaper. Yeah, we we were just saying. Well, you were saying that the room is very. It's very much. I mean, obviously, it was filmed in seventy nine, but it's it's a snapshot of the late seventies, early eighties, yeah. with the furniture. You know that giant sideboard with the pull big down, sideboard, yeah. pull down with your drinks inside. Yeah. Um, the flowery wallpaper. I mean, I don't know how many different types of wallpaper my parents went through in the late seventies, early eighties. All giant flowers on yes. the wallpaper. Weren't they? We had when we had flowers. We had gold flocking. I mean, I, I look at photos of my parents' flocking. living room, and you can sort of tell what part of the eighties you're in by what wallpapers on the wall. <laughs> it was flocking hell, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> black and white photo. Yes. Oh, this that's is, just yeah. a bit odd because there's a there's a picture of of. Leslie Schofield as her husband. Now, I don't know about you, I don't have any black and white photos of people, studio photos. It's him turning, looking at the camera. It's obviously In a staged. smoulderingly smoky way. Sort of, yes, yeah. look at me, girls. But, yeah, <laughs> that's what he's saying. The Hello, photo. ladies. Hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Which I cannot imagine him yeah. saying at but, all. You know... People's photos are, as you said, family photos, or you've got a wedding photo, yeah, or it's it's you in the back garden with like, yeah, not, by the hedge or something. Yeah, not the well, hello, wonky, yeah, yes. and not the well, hello photo. Yeah, it's not. This photo is obviously taken by a proper photographer yeah. who can frame it correctly. We're going back to the news footage. Yeah. It's correctly framed. It's too good. You know, the top of his head's in it. <laughs> there's no fingers over the lens <laughs> so. there's no photo bombing in the back by the kids yeah. <laughs> there's not a sticker on it that says this photo could be better if you did this <laughs> no if you're under um yes because in those days 35 you'd have taken a photograph yeah. and you would have had to have sent the film off yeah. now and if you're under 35, you have no idea what yeah, we're talking about. You would not know what that photo was going to look like until you get it came it. back. Yeah. That was a perfectly studio shot photo. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're not. We shouldn't. We're not focusing on the negative here. We're just no. focusing on the fun, aren't on we? On the fun. Yeah. Yeah. But the episode ends, mm-hmm. and although they've got one of the villains for the death of the other villain, they, <laughs> they don't have anybody for a husband's murder. No. And I quite like that. Because it's yeah. it's like real life. Things don't get tied up neatly at the end of it, right. you know. And it goes on into the next episode. I was going to say this carries on. Doesn't it, it carries on. The storyline carries on. Yeah. So we will do part two Ooh, at yes, some please. point, yeah. but we're only doing part one at the moment, and we're going to be doing part one of well, I say part one, the first episode of Juliet Bravo for the next episode. Yes, it's very dark, Warren. Stop dark. making faces. Dark. Turn the lights off, yeah. it would still be darker. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're looking at these these two... It's grim up north, though. Yes, two groundbreaking 
series, both with female leads. Yeah. But Warren, yeah. you, you, just just to ask you again, because you mentioned how much you liked sort of Jill Gascoigne. Yes. In this, did you want to say a few words about her it performance only, across the series? Yeah, it only comes across as this is remembering it from um, original transmission, mixed in with what I've I've watched. I've watched the five series again. I love Jill Gascoigne. She had some really interesting idiosyncrasies. Um, have you seen the whole of series? No, one? I've seen the whole of series one. Yeah. yeah. Um, does she? Have you seen what she does with her tea and her coffee? Yeah, I can't remember. It's quite a long time ago. She's got a thing. little sweetex. Oh, yeah, she always clicks a little sweetex. She never and has she sugar. she always stirs it with her pen. With her pen, yeah. 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 There's little idiosyncrasies yeah. like that. But no, all you the, said that, I remember. All yeah. the characters have something that evolves within mm. them. And it's quite clear people like Jake. Jake has a crush on he her. He does. But he knows yes. the line. Yeah. You've got... Miss. Uh, he's got... Um, the other inspector that joins oh, him he's later. Horrible. But towards the end, he's you know no. he's soft and he respects her. Yeah. But Jill, all the way through, um, her performance, she becomes a stronger, independent woman. Mm. But she still maintains the person that she was from the first episode mm. right through to the last one in yeah. series five, mm. um, and that always held me I, I i always loved i used to watch this on my black and white ferguson portable in my room <laughs> you're laughing at me yes oh i can't, I can't you know, bend it work this oh, oh this lad likes gentle touch it's quite mm. good and mm. i do like the gentle touch because i think she's a very beautiful woman she is and mm. um but her, yeah. the talent just comes across yes. so much so she's in a raffles episode isn't she she's in is the she? one with alfred marks is it okay yeah where well, she's his she's his Floozy. But as you say, the eyes, they glisten, don't they? They do. And a disarming way about her as well. Catherine Schell's in the last episode of the the first series, isn't she? Is that that based at the high-class brothel? Yes. Yes, Yes, that's fun, that one, yes. Then she goes and visits that, yes. Yes. uh, And they offer her a job, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's so nice that in this parley part of the 80s, when women are still not taking the lead so much in television yeah. that you've got two series on both of the main channels where the woman is the focus of it and they're strong women they're not just they're you know they're the they're doing good stuff and they're strong characters and i think in fact jill gascon's character probably has it easier because they all respect her from the start yeah whereas Inspector Jean Darblay, who we will talk about in the next issue, who is the main character in Juliet Bravo. She's not actually called Juliet Bravo. That's her call sign. Um, it takes her a bit of time to get their respect. But she does. But and and also you get two Juliet Bravos because you get, uh, I don't know what the other character is called now, but you get Anna, Anna, Carter. Anna Carter coming Kate in. Kate Longton. Kate Longton. After, a, a, in a few series time. And... It works just as well. Yeah, um, it's interesting how their lives are completely different as yes. well. Because yes. Jill now becomes a widow. Yes. Jill Gascoigne, sorry, Jill. Inspector Forbes becomes a widow. Yes. But she also has a family life. Yeah. Because she has her son. Yes. That That storyline yeah. progresses as well with yeah. her son, how he grows up, how mm-hmm. he joins the police and how he leaves the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... They have her father living yes. with them as well, which I think he's brilliant in episode yeah, one. He Absolutely is. brilliant. He is, he's, he's, he's a there. realist. He's he's yes. the he's the flat line all the way through. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much. No, yes. thank you. And we will be talking, as I say, talking about Juliet Bravo next time. So yeah. tune in again. Yes. yes. So this this thread will continue. Yes. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you to Mr. Warren for helping. Thank you, Warren. Yes, it's, uh, it was a very interesting article to record. Yes, indeed. And Warren will, of course, be back in the future. Well, yes. we know he will. We cause... will, because we've already recorded something with him for issue 25. Not 24. Not 24. 25. 25. We'll be doing something for 24 very soon. Okay. <laughs> uh, just to reiterate, um, Robert's Robots, Kinvig and The Gentle Touch are all available from Network DVD. Mm-hmm. And The Gentle Touch starts a repeat run on talking pictures tv in july in july mm. so that was good timing yes did we so know no <laughs> and no. then they then they announced no, it they announced it but uh, yeah you, you can get a flavor of what it's like and if you like it you can go to network's website and buy yeah. the dvds but, but, have but we promised uh, talking pictures a plug and we there it is yes. <laughs> okay all right so see you again soon with yes. episode 24 okay bye 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 That was episode 23 of Round the Archives, starring Lisa Parker, Andrew Trowbridge, Martin Holmes and Warren Cummings. Thanks also to IT Williams. On the musical side, you heard Dan Tate and Paul Chandler. The script for The Gentle Touch, Killers, was by Brian Finch. And the producer was Kim Mills. I say, I say, I say, Lisa. What do you say? What did the owl say to his girlfriend when it started to rain? I don't know. To wit, to woo. To... <sighs> do that again, because we should have been too wet to woo. <laughs> Sorry.